0: Hey guys, it's Kim. I feel the need to give a little trigger warning this week because this week's content is uh, a little different than normal. We talk about uh, some different topics than we normally talk about. Um, Talk about sex. So um, enjoy, I guess. And also there's a trigger warning for some discussion of sexual assault. So just to let you guys know, heads up. But otherwise, it's actually a really fun conversation, so get ready. Join Kim and Ketsia as they explore life without alcohol, after both being heavily immersed in a drinking culture for years. They explore different topics of sobriety each week, ranging from friendship to motherhood. By sharing personal stories from their past, they talk about their experiences of what it is like to now thrive rather than just survive the weekends sober.
1: so much better with the light
0: <laughs> yes Catherine oh that does look nice I
1: know
0: um all right thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's so good to have Catherine here I'm so happy you're back Catherine Catherine's I'm been gone for a little back. bit Tani but she's back for welcome back, back cool team
1: for the sober
0: sex spurt Tani welcome
1: Yay. hi so just in time for like the perfect session yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or should I say section?
2: <laughs> yes. Yes, you should. You should always say that.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So everybody, welcome to the Weekend Sober. We have Tani Laura here today with us, uh, the sober expert, And we're just pumped to have you here. This is, <laughs> I've been wanting to have you on for so long. And we, Ketsy and I were talking about it and we were like, we need, like, it's time. It's time. It's time we discuss the sex. Well, because I was
3: like, is there anyone that you want on? And I'm like, about Tawny, and we're yeah. like, we get her on sooner. So, like, F- yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. So really- we've been we've been doing this podcast since uh, basically a year and a half, and I think that Catherine and I have been wanting, like, we love to talk about sex, but we've been wanting to to talk about it on the podcast for a while, and it's like we need the right person to to. This is huge. You, huge on
1: so many levels. You
0: are the person, yeah. so Connie, I I feel like you need to introduce yourself. You gotta tell our listeners about who you are. You are a fabulous person. You had me on your podcast, Recovery Rocks. You have so much to tell us about what's going on <laughs> in your life right now. Um, you have let's a book coming out. Let's start so, with your
1: book, like, yes. and, and the amazing title.
2: Yeah.
0: So what, <laughs> right, tell us a little about who you are.
2: Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm so excited to be here and see, see you guys. It feels like we're meeting IRL because we're all like Instagram friends. Mm-hmm. This is the yes. new IRL, I guess. Yes. Um, so yeah, um, I've been sober since November of 2015. And um, I, you know, I, my, Do you want like my sobriety story? Do you want me to just talk about the sober sexpert stuff?
0: You can do whatever you want. We are very free flowing Mm -hmm. on here and we just kind of do whatever we want. So you can talk a little bit
2: about your sober
0: story and then we'll talk sex.
2: Yeah. I'll just, I'll, I'll do like the elevator pitch of the sober story. Um, yeah, I quit drinking November 30th, 2015. Um, I had recently relocated or, Yeah, I I grew up in Texas and I moved to New York, which is where I still live. Um, And, you know, there I was a I come from like a binge drinking party girl background like that. I was that girl who was, you know, dancing on the bars, singing to Kesha, you know, like that was that was me Um, when I wasn't behind the bar bartending. I was on the other side of it drinking or dancing on it like I lived in a bar. Um, and I, I will say I, I didn't think that I never thought to reexamine my relationship with alcohol until I left the bar scene and moved to New York to pursue writing. And I became friends with other writers and artists and other creative people and developed real friendships outside of the bar. Not that you can't have real friends in the bar, but I, I, and I'm still friends with many people that I, that I used to party with, you know? Um, but it's kind of like you, you don't like, I guess for, for example, like after a riding class here in New York, um, I was having a couple drinks and, uh, with some friends and, um, I ordered shots and they were just like, what, what are you doing? Why are you getting shots? (laughs) They're like, it's, it's Tuesday afternoon. Why are you getting, and that was the first time someone asked me. Why, you know, like why are you drinking this you know whereas like back in my hometown it's just what you do like you drink until you get shit-faced and you black out this was the first group of people that drink normally they had one or two drinks and went home and went about their day mm-hmm. so that was the first time that I really kind of like was kind of hit across the face with like oh I drink differently you Good know, for
1: you for recognizing um, it, because I had those people too, and I was like, they're not my people. Like yeah. I wasn't ready to admit it. So I'm impressed that you picked up on it. Yeah. Like
0: I, instead, I was like, there's something wrong with them.
1: Know, right. I'm like why aren't they? Well, even... you know,
2: and I probably had situations like that back in my hometown, but I, I, I don't think I would have gotten sober if I if I stayed. I had to get out. I had to distance myself from my family and from. Um, like my, me and my family are fine, but I just, I needed to like find my identity outside of small town bartender party girl, you know? Um, and I did, I, so I moved to the opposite of a small town (laughs) and, (laughs) um, my hair was hot pink when I moved here. I bought a one-way ticket. My parents were very concerned about me and, it was on looking back, it seems a little rash, but it was probably the sanest decision I ever made. Like I knew I had to get out. Good for you. Um, so, you know, I'm at a, you know, long story short, I'm at a pub with some friends um, on what one, one day and um, we're just, we're shooting the shit drinking and only have a couple beers. Like this was a pretty light day for me, but we're talking about how we don't have enough time to do, what we came to New York to do. I'm, I don't have enough time to write. My friend doesn't have enough time to audition. Like, you know, we're just having that having a day job sucks <laughs> kind of post post work beer. Um, and then something hit me like on the walk home. I was just like, I spent four hours in a pub talking about how I don't have time to write. Mm-hmm. And it was just, that was the moment there. Like I, I, and that, that was my last drink. And I kind of wish my rock bottom was more dramatic because it's def- I definitely love the drama. Um, but I also think it's important to share those stories because despite what's portrayed on film and television, you don't have to lose everything yeah. before you reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. So that next morning I woke up, didn't drink for a week, then two weeks, then a month, and then my thirtieth birthday was coming up, and I was like, "I'm gonna, uh, I'm just not gonna drink for a year, and I'm gonna blog about it, and hold me accountable for both." The blog kept me accountable for writing and not drinking because it was this like dual system. Um, and you know, spoiler alert: seven and a half years later, <laughs> um, it was supposed to be a year long social experiment, and it is now like a significant part of my identity. And give as, as you all know, the reason I'm here is like to promote a book that I wrote. And if I never removed alcohol that day, you know, I don't know, maybe I would have written a book, who knows, but that, you know, I, I did what I needed to do. And as soon as I removed alcohol from my life, I was, I was writing more, I was doing more creative things. I was hanging out with like-minded people <laughs> Um, you know, and that's not to say sobriety is all rainbows and sunshine because, you know, it's not, it was really hard. Like it was really hard. Um, but it was absolutely the best decision that I needed to do. And, you know, in that, um, in that time I did a lot of freelance writing work, which is how, um, I I got this, the sober sexpert nickname. I started writing about sober sex and dating, you know, um, the thought of dating, without alcohol scared the hell out of me. So, um, I started writing about it and Instagramming about it and podcasting about it. And, um, no one else was talking about it. No one else. Yeah.
1: There's still no one else talking exactly. about it. <laughs> it's really true except behind closed doors. And so, like I said, I love the title. It's dry humping. Dry <laughs> humping, true. And it. it has so many meanings for me because sex Sober is a challenge for me still, and mm. that's why I'm so excited that you're here. But I'm like baby steps, right? So maybe we do need some dry humping, literally. A hundred percent. Everyone, you know, sweaty.
2: Catherine. It's so funny you say that because, like, I didn't ex—I didn't expect that when people found out the book title, I was not expecting people to share personal dry humping experiences <laughs> with me <laughs> i was just like the common reaction is oh that's a great play on words love you know love yeah. the title yeah but so su- a surprising amount of people are just telling me they're dry humping whether th- they still enjoy dry humping or <laughs> their first time
3: dry humping and i'm like right okay. <laughs> yeah. it's like hey okay. like having a column people are sending you their experiences and you're they're sex birds so it's like a deer yeah. kind of thing isn't it you know I love that exactly It's awesome privilege I I've like so many
0: questions right now so are you get are people coming to you being like help me do you, like <laughs> like are you are you that kind of sober sex bird now like I'm struggling in this department like how do I do this you know or is that it more is, like yeah like because I know that you so you started out writing um just sort of like from your experience like you like the intimacy was the idea of just like and I know everybody probably feels this very in probably is why a lot of people don't want to stop drinking because
1: I bet I, it is, is it, it is you found that?
2: Terrifying.
1: It terrifying. is.
2: You know, it it's a big one. And it was one of my big ones. Yeah. It was like, you know, it it sex was just part of it. I was like, how am I going to go on a date without alcohol? How am I going to have sex? How am I going to network? How am mm. I going to make new friends? How yeah. am I going to go to a bachelorette party? I mean, alcohol was just so ingrained in every single thing that I did. Um, and I but I think the reason I flocked to the sex and dating conversation is because no one else was having it. Mm. And other people were talking about friendships and bachelorette parties and like work of, like, you know, working and being sober in a corporate environment. And those are all super important conversations mm-hmm. too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I love to have, I love all things taboo and controversial. So, you know, there is something controversial about being open, about being in recovery. And then there's something controversial about being an advocate for sex positivity. Mm-hmm. So when you bring that intersection together, it's kind of a lot for some people.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot for us to talk about sobriety for some people. And then if I were talking about, I mean, this, this, I, I, I'm just imagining my mother right now listening. to
3: this <laughs> It's like, oh, blowing
0: her mind. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's incredible that because this needs to be discussed. And so you're talking to three women um, who, you know, are moms and married. And, you know, this, I, I think for me, when I stopped drinking, I wasn't really thinking about this part of it. I think there was a lot of other things that kind of um, I was more worried about. But right. if I were single and I'm thinking about um, Madeline Forrest, who we had on here, Um, A couple weeks ago, who talked a lot about sober dating and she's in her 20s and she's single and, you know, stopping drinking was really hard for her because she was terrified about going out into the dating scene. So I can just imagine that there's so many women who just can say to themselves, I can't can't even wrap my mind around sobriety and intimacy and getting naked in front of somebody I don't know
3: and. Because um, alcohol is the connector. Yeah. Alcohol is the lubricant. Lubricant. Right. In all of those situations. Yes. What well, and, and that's, that's actually,
2: people. like, that's the thesis of my book, is mm. helping readers replace liquid courage with something that I call intrinsic courage. Beautiful. The whole book is a guide on helping people, predominantly women, um, helping us get in touch with who we are emotionally, physically, like get in touch with our bodies, find genuine confidence. And then bring you then you bring that on the date. Then you bring that in the bedroom. Beautiful. And it's you know, we as a species don't necessarily gravitate to that because we want a quick fix. We want a shot that's gonna right. give us liquid courage right now. Yeah. So you know in the book I talk about I give, you know, I I give advice on how, how to cultivate that intrinsic courage and it's work. You three know it is work. Like it, it includes, you know, going to therapy, taking yourself on dates, prioritizing masturbation. I mean, doing these things that like are not natural to some people. Some women are not taught to masturbate and love their bodies and learn about their bodies. So you know, and the more I interviewed so many people for this book, and it was just like so eye-opening, but also like re- I felt com- I found community too of like just learning how few women feel confident in their bodies sexually without alcohol. Like mm-hmm. it was equally heartbreaking and made me feel better because I wasn't alone. <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. it's it, like a real it's it's so funny that there's still, there's such stigma around talking about sex. There has been so much stigma about talking about sobriety. And I feel like anything that you create a safe space around can give you that courage and part of getting sober being talking about it with all of you with kim with friends like-minded people going through these things is huge but it's really true this is still like um a thing that nobody wants to talk about and like you said kim mm-hmm. like the three of us uh, you know being moms you add that extra layer of time away from yourself and yeah and you saying like there is no quick fix, there really is no quick fix because it's like a buildup of a new relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, you know, masturbation is so important for you to, I agree with you 100%, to get to know yourself again nice. in, a, in a space. And it was always something I think I took for granted for a while like it was just something i did and i knew how to do it and i could get it done and but there's a whole other layer it's like oh oh, boy just wanted to do it that way right you know it's like or is there other parts so there's all these podcasts about like masturbation and meditation so it's like yeah and i feel like they're awesome though um but that has been super helpful too because it gets your mind around it, and there is nothing good mm-hmm. comes from a quick fix, really. You know, there really isn't. Well, it,
2: exactly. That's and that's why we get sober, or at least get sober curious, is because mm-hmm. we know that these quick fixes are they're band aids. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, like to quote Queen Taylor Swift, band aids don't fix bullet holes. You <laughs> like it just, <laughs> you know, right, um, you have to you have to put in the work. And which is why I'm also such an advocate for peer support therapy. You can't do it alone. You don't have to work a program. Like I didn't go to AA, you know, I didn't do any of that, but I did develop my own holistic program that included weekly therapy and yoga and meditation and journaling, blogging, um, you know, get sober Instagram. Like that's how I met all you guys, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's a, a long you know not that long ago AA was the only option right. now you can look up hashtag sober hashtag sober moms sober mm-hmm. NYC you can meet people or at least connect with them in a digital way and find community like that that and I'm so grateful for that because it was such a huge part of my recovery. I met my co-host Lisa Smith my podcast co-host she mm-hmm. and I met on Instagram like you know it, there's a huge supportive community there that's how that's how we met kessia um yeah.
0: yeah i you know what i was thinking about um and some other people that we've spoken to on our podcast have um talked about the trauma that they've experienced in their past um you know by being blacked out or drunk um mm-hmm. you know sexual assault um in abuse and things like that and i know that that is something that people struggle with as well, um, in what makes sex hard for a lot in mm-hmm. society. Um, and I think, I don't know if that's anything you touch on in your book, but certainly something that yeah. dealt with obviously in therapy and, and, I'm,
2: I'm really glad you brought that up because that is, that's a whole chapter in the book. Um, because I also acknowledge that like, yeah, we can talk about how sober sex is better, But it's only better because we put in the work, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, Um, for some people, including myself, who've experienced sexual assault. That is I understand, like why I used alcohol, because sex was traumatic for me for a long time. Um, And I talked to other other people with PTSD who used who used alcohol to help with sex. I also interviewed a lot of asexual people who used alcohol to try to make themselves like sex mm-hmm. and then they get sober and they realize i actually don't like this like mm-hmm. or they maybe they they like snuggling and they like making out but maybe they don't like penetration mm-hmm. you know but they used alcohol to make themselves quote unquote be normal yeah. and while you know and so just like talking to all these different people hearing about how we just used alcohol to get us through difficult times, you know? And so I think it's also important to acknowledge that like it did in a weird way, help me get through some shit, but it was a band aid, you know, like right. it wasn't like, it wasn't a holistic helpful program. Um, but it, it got me to where I was until I finally realized I needed help. Yeah. Um, but you know, and I interviewed mental health professionals talking about PTSD in recovery, and I, I share some of my own story. I share some of their tips on how to get, um, you know, how to get comfortable in your body when you're when your body isn't necessarily seen as a safe place yeah. when your body has been a, has been a source of trauma, and you know, and it's so mo- mo- most sexual assaults take place, the, the assailant or the victim are usually under the influence of alcohol. Yeah. And that, and I share that, I share that not to shame the drunk, the drunk victim mm-hmm. at all. I share that just to say alcohol is usually part of the story. Right, And, you know, you look at the Brock Turner, Chanel Miller story. Wow. He was found, he was intoxicated. She was completely blacked out and he was caught literally raping this girl mm-hmm. and there were eyewitnesses but his lawyer called out Chanel Miller on trial for being drunk and that's just like we could do a whole podcast on alcohol and the me too movement that's also part of the book um but you know it's just it it's a really really heavy heavy subject yeah. you know like The book starts really light and fun of like, date yourself, spend time with yourself, masturbate, go on fun dates with your friends. And then, but we, you know, we really, we touch on, we touch on the really heavy shit that comes up because you have
3: to, if you are going to heal, you have to deal with that. It's it's nuances too. There's going to be so many demographics of people who are looking to um, people like us who are sharing our stories, who are putting stuff out there and they're learning from that and we need to be able to help people feel welcome whatever there's whatever stage mm-hmm. they're at in their recovery or not they could just be curious they could be just looking at this and i think within even the trauma aspect of it there's so many nuances of what that means to mm-hmm. an individual mm-hmm. something could come up for you that you didn't even realize you had buried deep because you had been blacked out yes, yes exactly and that's what you know things like therapy bring that out but also reading someone's story and reading someone using their voice the way that you are, it's like, oh, I think this is actually something that happened to me or something that I can relate to. Like, so it's oh, so well, and it happened
0: to me. Like, I we, didn't realize, yeah,
1: we
2: mm-hmm. were taught that, or maybe just, maybe this is me, but like I was taught through film and television that rape is mm-hmm. by a stranger in a back alley mm-hmm. and it's very violent, you right. know? Um, And that's actually like a pretty low percentage of the actual rapes that Mm -hmm. do happen. They're usually by someone, you know, and they're usually intoxicated Mm -hmm. and, you know, and coming to terms with that is really fucking hard. It's really hard, which again is why I'm such an advocate for mental health support and peer support and anything you can do to take care of yourself and be really, really gentle with yourself. And again, this is not a quick fix at all. This is not a quick fix. This is like, you know, in, in the 12 step community, they say to wait a year, at least a year before you start dating, because so much is going to come up in that first year. And some people might need a couple years, some people might only need six months, who knows, you know, it's deeply personal for you. But I learned that I could not be a good partner um, until I took care of my own shit. You know, and I'm still dealing with it. Nick and I have been together for four and a half years. He and I are both in therapy. Um, But, you know, I'm I have a pretty good grasp and at least the self-awareness to know the shit that I went through and how I'm dealing with it in a healthy way now Mm -hmm. that I would have never done if I didn't get sober. I know that. Oh,
0: absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, I have spoken in length about the sexual assault that I experienced in college and. Um, we've talked about it on here. I think that it is extremely common for, that people come to terms with these things once they stop drinking and start to process and move through these things. Um, and and this, this is all very, um, it's hard to talk about because I think so many uh, all of these topics are so taboo masturbation sexual assault sex sobriety and for me and in-
2: women women having fun in bed yeah, like right. women being pleased in bed that's yeah, that's totally. also not talked about on, like, it on it leave. is now, finally, yes. but- women allowing being
0: allowed to enjoy sex um right. it it was never discussed in my family and my um you, you know like even in my 20s like we just people don't in our friends. Like we just never really spoke about it. And, um, always these subjects are just so still continue to be so taboo. And I think it's so important that we are putting it out there, that we're talking about it. Um, because it, it's, I'm getting frustrated.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's all, and
2: it's it's also like, people, I mean, there's also something to be said for, you know, people like on, on a positive note, we're talking about coping with trauma, right. but there's a lot of people that have really beautiful breakthroughs in sobriety. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people come out of the closet when they get sober, you know, mm-hmm. and like they're finally able to really be who they are and take pride in their sexuality or gender identity. And they realized that they used alcohol to hide from that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I'm I'm one of them, like I didn't take pride in my bisexuality until I got sober. And, you know, it's, I was always like, I would hook up with women and, and date women, but I never thought I was bisexual enough because I was never in a long-term relationship with a woman. Um, but you know once i got sober i was able to i had a clear head and i could talk about these things in therapy and i made friends that were bisexual and you know i ha- and there's finally proper bi representation on television now so you know there's that was a huge part of my journey of knowing of getting to know my own sexuality and uh, you know i interviewed so many other queer people that that can relate
1: it's interesting um It's like the word that keeps coming into my mind is, is fear, right? There's fear around getting sober. There's fear around change. There's fear around really identifying with yourself and not to take away from, from people's identities of coming out. But I did use that phrase. I felt like I was coming out when I got sober. I felt like I was coming into myself and being who I've always wanted to be without the social lubricant. And it is a lot about dealing with sexual trauma, I think, where my issues still come from. And I I think I weaponized sex, I, not I think, I did. I definitely weaponized it when I was in college and after sexual assault and saying, well, if the guys can do it, why can't I just go have sex? I was completely shutting off the reasons why.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Like you said, Kim, like there's no, there's no education there. Not not now. There wasn't any education for me. Good, bad, or indifferent. I'm indifferent about it. I'm not upset about it. But it's one of my goals for my children, boy yep. and girl. Yeah. Talk around about this, and and it's starting now at age appropriate conversation. You know mm-hmm. I. Some of my daughter's friends are dating and it's innocent and it's they break up after two weeks and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and some are saying that they're bisexual and it's accepted and it's beautiful. And and what I say to my daughter is like, are you, you know, personally, I think you're young to have a boyfriend, but it's what you feel, and she's like, I don't want one. And like that alone, just to for her to be able to say I've crushes on people and I don't want one. I think is something I never even had. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. these are the little turtle baby steps that I'm having to try and create somebody who's sexually aware and confident to know who they are, regardless Mm. of what the other person in the relationship wants. Like that's like step number two, you know? And how old is, how old is is she? She's seven. No, I'm kidding. She's (laughs) (laughs) She's 12. So she's on that cusp and she's, Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I am so, I'm
2: so happy that she has you for a mom and (laughs) like that you can, that she can talk to you about that kind of stuff. I had, you know, my mom was the same My mom got me my first vibrator. (laughs) I mean, like, amazing. I mean, like, and she, like, she showed me, she made me look at my vagina, or my vulva in the mirror to like know what everything does. Yeah. So like Mm -hmm. I've, never been ashamed yeah of 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 my genitals and so many women are yeah and I'm just like I'm so grateful that she did that because it helped me know proper words to describe my body parts yeah I know what everything I knew what everything did Yes, and she did that she did that for me because her mother didn't talk about it like my mom got her period and thought she was dying like
1: Awful you story. know,
2: like that's just, so she wanted to break that. Right. And, um and I think, you know, and we're seeing again with the next generation, we're seeing yeah. these kids that are, you know, w- learning about sexuality and gender identity. And some people, a lot of people think that that's, you know, maybe a whole other conversation, like a whole other podcast, but like, it's tough to admit that children are sometimes sexual beings. Right. And like, I started masturbating very young Same. and like, they are going to learn this shit somewhere. Right. Like if you yeah. don't make a safe space for them to talk to you about it, That's they're right. going to learn about it in porn. They're going to learn about it on TikTok. They're going to learn about it for their friends. Right. And you can't control those resources yeah. like that. So it's just, I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful that you're having that dialogue with her and she can come to you, tell you that her friends are bisexual. like, that's, that's so cool. And that honestly gives me hope for the future. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I did want to share that with you. Cause it is, it's a brand new frontier for people, especially, you know, especially bisexuals, I think, because it's, there's not a lot of history for people to go on with it. And it's mm-hmm. still like, well, pick a side, yeah. you know, it's still that sort of. Yes. Right?
2: And especially like, and it's, I mean, it's so gendered, like, but. no, but it's, it's so gendered. Like, for if a woman is bisexual, then she wants to have a threesome. And if a man is bisexual, then he's gay but isn't really dealing exactly. with it. Exactly. And it's just like it's so ignorant. And that's mm-hmm. but I internalized a lot of that too. And I was just like, well, am I really by it? Like, you know, I had to really do that work. Um, and it's it's difficult work. I it's didn't even think like you, that.
3: you that trope, like those tropes yeah. that fall into. But now that you say that that's what the default conversation is. Whenever you bring up bisexuality, it's always like, Oh, well, he must be gay or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't, I didn't even think about that, but that was the messaging all through, you know, high school and things like that. It was just this like subtext, any, even anything you watched in the, in movies and stuff like that.
2: Well, even on like sex in the city and the L word, which were so progressive and so ahead of their time. Uh so transphobic, so biphobic. Mm -hmm. There's a whole storyline where Carrie dates a bisexual guy and she breaks up with him because she's done playing games. (laughs) I'm just like, he's like, he'll he'll grow up. Like, he's immature. And I'm just... At the time I watched it and internalized it and then watched it. You know, I've watched really? Sex and the City an obscene amount of times. I can quote it all.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: it's, it's crazy. But, you know, now I watch some episodes. Like, she also breaks up with that jazz musician because he has ADHD. Yeah. You
3: know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to
2: watch
1: it. I highly offended, offended.
3: <laughs> me and my friends would go to the bar and then we would come back to my apartment. We'd make like nachos or something and we'd all watch Sex in yes. the City. And a lot, and we, and like you said, we internalized that and a yeah. lot of it came out in our behaviors too. Like Catherine and mm-hmm. were talking about like being an empowered woman and I'm going to go out and fuck anybody or whatever. A lot of that came from places like Sex in the City too because that, yeah, was like, oh, well, if Samantha's doing it, I can do it, right? right. And there was not the discussion of like, anything going on beneath the surface, you know? Right.
1: And think yeah. about that too. What was the biggest thing that like the big takeaway that I keep thinking about is the cosmopolitan. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Cosmos like became a thing and it was all of them going out and drinking. It's and drinking is huge. in yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is well, so intertwined with how healthy you are and how you view yourself. Really. It is yeah. with your relationship with alcohol
3: really is.
2: And I'm really, I'm grateful for, you know, the, the reboot, they do address it. You know, Miranda yeah. gets sober, they address her drinking problem. I and, know. and that was so refreshing, like to see the girls sitting in the park, drinking NA wine together, you know, like they're still able to do the things together. Yeah. Um, the beverage is going to change, but they're still friends. They're still girlfriends talking and that, you know, like to see that representation on the show that like like you were saying, it's like it it fucked me up in a lot of ways, but it's also like a very
3: a large part of my personality is, is from sex women. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a huge yeah. I remember one year me and my girlfriends went as all the characters as the four characters from Sex and the City. And we went to the bar and like, we almost, you almost, um, well, I did. And I think my girlfriend did like slipped into the persona of who you were. Oh, wow. So I was Carrie cause I always wanted to be a writer. Right. And I was just like, I'm going to yeah. be Carrie. But we slipped into that persona that night and it was just understood. Like people would see you and they'd be like, Oh, you guys are the chicks from Sex and the City or whatever. Right. Yeah. And there was, there was a few shows like that, but that's the one I remember the most cause it was on for so long mm-hmm. and everything there was always drinking and, and kind of the sense of like, reckless abandonment at the of mm-hmm. the things that they were doing. Right. So you're like, Oh, well they're going out and they're still managing to hold down these amazing careers. Well, meanwhile, they're out, you know, and yeah. drinking, you know, whatever all the time. And it just, but it's interesting to look back through that lens and they have that platform to do that and to be like, Oh, you're doing a reboot. Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. Because I really, I, I do respect that regardless I of, you. you know, so. Yeah. It's
2: it's funny you bring up the Carrie Bradshaw writer thing because that I get that all the time. I'm a curly-haired sex writer in Manhattan. So people are like, "Oh my god, yeah. you're like like you're like Carrie Bradshaw and I you're like, "I know." I'm just I know the sh- like I take that very personally because in my mind I know there be there be it's a compliment but in my mind I'm like she is a disaster she creates all of her own problems she is so unaware she is so narcissistic okay. and I'm like
1: you I'm like, how dare you call it me? you really yeah. have because in my mind I'm like yeah. yeah like you made it like I'll still yeah. go to that little innocent piece of just the four friends like I'm Samantha yeah I, I years. Years. and it's like <laughs> it's funny
2: watching you know shows or movies that you grew up watching and then watching them again in adulthood and especially mm-hmm. in recovery mm-hmm. now i can see i used to be on carrie's side on a lot of this and so then i'm like like er, in like season two when she shows up big tells her that he's not ready for her to meet his mother yeah so yeah. she follows them to church <laughs> and he's like what i told you i'm not ready for this yet like And I thought Big was a jerk when I watched that the first time. And now I'm like,
3: you're "You're fucking insane. Like, he
2: he told you
3: he's not ready. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. I don't think I could
1: watch it right now. Because I see it on and I I don't turn it on. And I'm wondering if this is also why, like, I get so frustrated. Like, I still want to be like, yeah, yeah, Carrie, you did it. You are the writer in New York, (laughs) but you're so right. Like, the deeper you go, it's like... It was a time and a place, right? It was a time yeah. and a place. And we, but were it's, all you know,
2: there's also moments of, you know, when I watch the show and I'm na- now the age that they were in the show. Mm. So, you know, now when I'm watching Charlotte struggling with getting pregnant at thir- like 36, 37, I'm like, wow, that's my age. Should I be thinking about this?
3: <laughs> you
1: know? Yes. You're not Charlotte.
2: <laughs> I'm not I'm definitely you know but it's like the thing about that show it's its these archetypes that we yeah. all have you know really. we, we all have these girls in us
1: right and that's why it was so unique it was such a, a powerhouse of a show for young women is because we weren't represented at all
2: mm-hmm. even if mm-hmm. they
1: were you know archetypes but mm-hmm. yeah uh, that's fun that was a fun conversation about <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I think that could be a whole other podcast um, yeah
0: whole other episode um well this has been fun you guys have any other thoughts for tawny or what I mean, a
3: thousand questions we <laughs> I have a question. when i pre-ordered the book when is the book? thank you yeah i did too help? pre-orders count for so much for anybody listening um they really do help uh the authors but is there is there are you doing any kind of Lead up promotion. Is there any? Can you tell us a bit about what's going on with that and when it comes out officially?
2: Yeah, definitely. Thank and thank you for talking about how important pre-orders are. I didn't know until I, until I got more into the publishing world. Um, mm-hmm. But so pre-orders count for the first week of sales, which is how mm-hmm. books land on the bestseller list. Ooh, nice. It also helps the pub helps the publisher know how many books to print. It lets bookstores mm-hmm. know how many books to stock. Um, It really is about generating buzz. So um, pre-orders are super, super important. I really appreciate that you guys Mm -hmm. pre-ordered. And yeah, so the book comes out in September. I just pre-ordered. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you,
3: sales. Thank you very
2: much. Yeah, yeah, so it's, you know, it comes out in September and I'll definitely, you know, we're going to do some pre-order incentives, like on my Instagram, like, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be maybe like, we'll give away the first chapter. If you pre-order, you know, we're going to do all sorts of stuff, collaborate with non-alcoholic drink brands and, and all of that. But, um, you know, and even, so if you pre-order, like, you don't need to wait to pre-order like it, you know, when we do these incentives, if you just send, send the, the like a screenshot of the receipt, you'll get mm-hmm. the thing, whatever the thing is, it doesn't matter when you place the order. Um, and you know, and on that note, if there's any authors that you that you love, see what they're up to, pre-order their new book, and if you have a minute, um, leave a review on Goodreads and Amazon. Mm-hmm. Like even oh. if you just star it and put like "I love this book," that yeah. that helps authors so 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 much.
1: Yeah, it's true. Kim, well, no, maybe not. No. But this was so weird. Like I wrote, remember when I wrote that your review?
0: Yeah. That was and, so annoying.
1: And it was, um, what was it? Like rejected. Hated, rejected. It, I, it was rejected. I was like,
2: so that's a thing. If is was this on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Amazon, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's actually humans or an algorithm or what, mm-hmm. but they know if it's your friend <gasps> and they don't. What? Yeah. it it
3: What? Wow. <laughs> it's what it's fair sometimes,
2: though. sometimes it'll get through. Like I actually, I just reviewed Laura McCowan's new book on Amazon mm-hmm. and it got accepted, but it might get taken down, you know, like, cause I think people are actually combing through and seeing like, okay, their friends are like, you know, they have a podcast together. So yeah. it's like,
1: that's, it's terrible. so weird. Have nothing better. I know.
2: <laughs> but like, that's so annoying. <laughs> I know.
0: It's awful.
1: Just like awesome book. I should try
3: Let's again. Give it five stars.
1: <laughs> five stars. Log in Even if you just account
3: with a different email address and a different picture. <laughs> <laughs> Put it up there. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, I know. Terrible. Try oh, it, it it's again. It's so weird. weird. <laughs> I will. I totally will. I'm gonna do yeah, it. Yeah, need,
0: need I need some new reviews. Go on Goodreads.
2: Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Goodreads and Amazon are so freaking important for book success. So, yeah. I always like to just remind listeners like they I don't think I don't think readers are aware of how no. important their feedback is. It's true. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I wasn't until I got into this industry. So, you mm-hmm. know, stop scrolling through Instagram, hop on Goodreads and like just yeah. like review the last couple books you read and it'll just do
1: That's a do deal. your favorite
2: authors mm-hmm. a lot of favors.
1: That's a good thing to let us all know. As readers. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Oh, Tony, it's been so great meeting you.
0: So great. Thank you you too. Fun.
1: Thank you, you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for everything. This
2: this was great. You know, maybe I'll come back when the book is yes. is out or close yes. to close to out or something. And yeah. you know, we'll we'll talk about the new season of and just like that.
1: Awesome. <laughs> <love it>. awesome. <laughs> and awesome. that's the title of our next our episode together.
2: <laughs> yes. And just like that. Everyone's dry humping.
1: Yes! <laughs> I love it. You're doing it. That's my dry hump per day.
0: Awesome. Aww. All right. <laughs> Thanks,